Good morning. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. That's on page 977 of your Black Bibles. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. I thank you again for coming today. My name is Ryan Phelps. I serve Grace Point as lead pastor. It is good to see all of you today, to worship with all of you today. We have been, uh, for the last couple of months, in the book of Ephesians, slowly working our way through. And we're actually finishing the first section, the first half, where Paul has been outlining the glorious theology that not only saves us, but unites us, unites us as one body. And we end that today just with a couple of verses, but they are glorious. So uh, in order to see that they are glorious, let's pray together. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You have brought us into this room, whether we acknowledge that or not, whether we realize it or not. By your Spirit, you have gotten us up out of bed, got us into our cars, motivated us to get to church. And so now all we ask is that you would open our eyes and that we would see you. But that we would see you in a way that we would savor what you are doing, who you are, and that we would believe that you can actually change us. Change us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, holy, good, and loving. We ask that now. We are sinners. We need your help. We know that you will, by your Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, to your glory. Amen. So my question this morning to begin is, why trust God? Why should you, you've come into these doors, put your trust with the deity, the Christian deity, God? It's not an easy thing. Because trusting God is not like trusting the chair that you're all are sitting in right now. Now you're trusting, you're probably not even thinking about it, but you're trusting right now that that chair is going to hold you up, right? Now, if that chair fails to hold you up, what's going to happen is a sore rear end, right? Not terrible. But when you give your trust to God, when you entrust yourself to the Lord, you are risking a lot because you are entrusting him with your very life, your whole life. So over the Christmas break, I took my kids down and we did a ropes course together. It's one of those things, it's at, at Jordan's, we call it Jordan's Circus, Jordan's Furniture, and it's... Um, and you, you go up and you walk up these, these steps and then you do a series of obstacles on these cables and wires. And it's pretty harrowing. So you get there at the bottom and these nice teenagers hook you up with a harness and a couple of ropes and they connect you to this thing. And then you start to go up. Now, when you're on the ground and you're looking up, it's, it, it's not that scary. It doesn't seem that high up when you're down on the ground. But then when you get up there, you realize that if, if you fall, 
ye ain't going to live. And so very quickly, you form a bond with that harness and that attached rope. It becomes one with you. Start talking to it. Okay, harness. Okay, rope. Nice to meet you. I need to know, can I trust you? And you keep on putting it to the test. There's this particularly harrowing part where you can literally walk out onto a plank. It's just a piece of metal that you walk out on, nothing else around you. So it is just you, that harness, and that rope. You are essentially giving your physical life over to some woven fabric, some, to some bound together string. And that is terrifying. And your mind is telling you, please stop. Please get down. What about giving your life over to God, though? I would argue that that is even more harrowing because you are not only giving him your physical life, though you are. You are giving him your spiritual life as well. You are, in, you are choosing to entrust with him every decision, every path that you take. You are choosing to let him dictate your money, how you use it, your sexuality, your career. You are choosing to entrust with him even your afterlife. You are giving him your life forever. But if you know anything about the Christian faith, this is the only way. There is no half in and half out with God. It is all or it is nothing. But the promise offered on the other side of giving your life to God is utterly glorious and amazing. Can you trust your life with God, your whole life? Three points this morning as we walk through these these two verses. One, the potential of trusting God. Two, the problems with trusting God, and three, the promise of trusting God. Three Ps for you. The potential, the problems, and the promise of trusting God. Okay, let's work through point one. The potential of trusting God. What does verse 20 say? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So if you've been with us, or if you know Ephesians 3, you know that he's finishing a prayer off. We, we, we cut it off a little bit last week. We stopped at verse 19, but it ends here with fire, with energy. He is praying the power of God because he knows that is what is needed to accomplish everything that he has laid out, everything that he has been promising on behalf of of God. He has just told them some crazy stuff in three chapters. He has promised more than any politician or salesman will ever promise you. He has said that the people of God are the adopted of God. That they were chosen before the foundations of the world to live in holiness and praise. And then maybe even crazier for the, for the people that he's writing to is that God has offered this to every person. To every person. Jew and Gentile alike. And that would have been crazy to them because that would have meant them coming together. God is bringing the church together. One family, one people in Jesus Christ. These are people who had been in enmity and war. People who had been divided for centuries. They would come together under the power of God. That is the promise that Paul is relaying. And so Paul's readers, you have to imagine, must have thought at this point, 
No way. There is no way. There is too much history to overcome. Too much bad blood. There's no way that even God can bring us together. And Paul quickly comes in and he says, you do not understand his power. You do not understand what he can and will do. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. Now just think through that logic. Paul is saying that there is literally nothing that we can ask of the Lord that he cannot do. There is nothing that we can dream up that he will not be able to do. And just so we're up front right now, this does not mean that whatever you ask, he will do, okay? doesn't mean that whatever you pray, if you pray for a pony today, he's not going to give you a pony. It's a good thing to pray for maybe, but he's not going to give it. I don't know. Maybe he will. He may or may not. The point is he can do it. From ponies to something else. If you pray, God is able. His power is limitless. And this is why it matters. Because God is worthy of our trust. He is the only one, the only thing, the only idea in the world worthy of trusting. Everything else will fail you. I'll never forget watching the, the, I think it was in 1984, the Superman movie with Christopher Reeve when it came out. I still tear up. I'm not kidding. When that's that, that first scene where Superman finally reveals himself. He's Clark Kent and he reveals himself and he does so. If you remember, Lois Lane is on the top of that roof and there's the helicopter accident and it falls down and it's caught on some cables and it falls on the side of the building and she flies out hanging on and Clark Kent's walking out and he sees up and there she is and he sets off running and right then you can feel the music, the beautiful, majestic John Williams music, and he's running, and then he opens up that shirt, and there is the S, and you know what he is going to do. Superman is immensely, almost limitlessly powerful. Almost. As powerful as Superman is, you actually learn in that movie also that he is not all-powerful. He cannot be at every place at every time. But this is not the case with God. God is all-powerful. He can do anything, anything that we ask. Now, that's not amazing enough. Paul, he pushes it out. He takes it another step. He promises even more. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, what does it say? Or think, right? Now that's different than asking. The Greek word is actually kind of hard to translate, but it, it translates something like unable to form an idea about. That's why they get the, the think part. Unable to form an idea about. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, or unable to form any sort of idea about. In other words, not only can God do whatever we ask, but he can do what we would never in a million years think to ask. There are a trillion things, and I mean that almost literally, maybe literally, that we cannot conceive of that God can do. That is breathtaking power. 
His promises, he can do those things we cannot think about, let alone articulate. We are standing before immense power. God's power is limitless beyond our imagination. Now, we need to take this even one step further than that. Maybe that is not enough for you. Maybe it's not enough to think of the power of God because to you it's abstract, it's out there. What does that do for me? But then he says this, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And that is amazing. This is no abstract power. This is not a power out there somewhere in the distant universe. When you trust on Christ for your salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have power. The unimaginably great power of God is working itself out through you, from within you. This is why we should and can entrust ourselves to God. He promises to transform us. Whatever we are going through, he promises that he can heal us. He promises that he will come to us and by his power give us lasting contentment and durable joy. He promises to use you. His power will be amplified through you so that you use your gifts to his glory for the good of others. Friends, this is too good to be true power and we must trust him. Will you trust him? Point two. The problems with trusting God. The problems with trusting God. So it's important that we admit this right off the bat that we do not do this well. It is not easy to go from trusting ourselves or something else to trusting God. It is hard to put our physical and spiritual needs in his hands, our life in his hands. I think we need to be honest about that. To give everything over to God is not without its risks. It can be scary. So my wife was sitting back there. We were stationed in Florida right after we got married. I think it was in 2001. And she was offered a ride by one of the pilots there in his own personal plane. If you know anything about planes, it was called a very easy. I don't think it had anything to do with it being easy, but whatever. It had a propeller in the back. It looked pretty cool. Well, I felt okay about letting her do that because he was an F-15 pilot, one of the greatest pilots on the planet. And so I'm like, that'll be fine. And then she climbed in and I'm next to her. And I look in the back and right in front of her, there's a placard. And it reads something like this. I don't know exactly what it said, but it read something like this. This is an experimental aircraft. It has not been evaluated, tested, or approved by the FAA. You fly at your own risk. What? And before I knew it, they're taxiing out and they are flying into the air. Now they survived. She's still alive right there. Wave your hand to make sure there she is. She's still alive. Only later did I know, this is sad and tragic, that was the same plane that John Denver died in. He crashed and died in. I don't know if I would have gone up after knowing that. We look at God sometimes and we see an experimental aircraft. We see a warning sign. I cannot trust that. I cannot trust him with my whole life. I'll give you part, but everything. 
Paul wants the people of God to know him totally, to trust him completely. And so he prays this at the end. He caps it off with this prayer at the end because he knows this will not come easily or naturally to trust God is scary. So I just want to quickly walk through some of the things that, the reasons that we have hangups, the reasons that we have problems with trusting God and try to answer each of them. First, we do not trust God because we don't think he's able, right? We don't trust God because we do not think he is able. Remember that Paul is talking to a bunch of people who cannot possibly believe that God will bring together the Jews and the Gentiles in harmony, in unity, in common faith. How could he possibly do that? Now, that's a little removed from us. So think about Paul saying something like, God will bring together ISIS and Israel. Not possible. Now, our unbelief comes out in all sorts of ways. We do not trust God's power in all sorts of ways. We do not trust him completely because we do not think that he can truly bring us happiness. We don't think that he has the power to support us, protect us, bring us joy. Very often, we do not think that he has the power to reconcile a broken marriage, heal a person addicted to pornography, or redeem a soul who was lost to crime and drugs. I'll give you an example. When people are in conflict, they come to me and they want to talk to me about this conflict they're having with another person. Very quickly, just know this, very quickly, I tell them, you need to go talk to them. Don't talk to me. Talk to them. And I don't, I'm not saying that because I thought this up. This is what Jesus thought up. It comes from Matthew 18. He said, go to the person and be reconciled to them. Routinely back, what I hear is this. Well, that won't work. They will be furious if I go to them. And they will not change. Going to them is not going to help. What are we doing when we do that? Because I do it too. I stand back from following God down that path too. We are saying very clearly that we do not trust God. We don't trust Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord of the universe, to give us direction. How do we climb out of this thinking? How do we learn to trust the power of God? Well, I think that the biblical answer is not simply that you just have blind faith, that you just go by his word. Okay, he says it, so I'm going to do it. There's part, part of that is true. But often the Bible does something very interesting. It asks you to remember what God has done. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, the psalmist says. Now listen to what he says. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Do you hear what he's doing? This act of worship is bolstering his faith. Recounting the wonderful deeds of the Lord, recounting what he has already done, it reminds you that you can trust him today. Do the same. Think of the marriages that he has saved by his grace. Think of the men and women that he has miraculously saved out of a life of drugs. Think of the numerous people in your life who came to Christ even though they never should have come to Christ. You can trust the Lord because he is able. Second, maybe this is you. We do not trust God because we are too Ashamed. 
In other words, we do not think that we deserve his power, even if he would give it. This is a real thing for many people. Many people feel too ashamed, too unworthy to receive God's help. They have done too much evil, they say. They have not done good enough, led a good enough life, they say. And God would promise power to me. I cannot allow that. I cannot entrust myself to him. Now, what do we say to this? First, this is a deep irony. Because the very thing that we are struggling with, our guilt, our anxiety, our shame, can only be healed by the God of the universe. Second, God wants nothing more than to take you in and to heal your wounds. You who are ashamed, friends, God wants you. You who are broken, God wants you. You who have sinned more than anyone could ever possibly know, God himself wants you. Like the earthly father who goes harder after their children the further and faster they run. So God comes after you. You can trust him because he loves you. Third, we do not trust God because we don't want to. We do not trust God because we do not want to trust God. In other words, what am I saying? You do not want to give up your life. You know what God is demanding of you. He is not just demanding 25 or 46 or 78% of your life. He is demanding it all. And that is terrifying to us to let go of those things he is asking us to let go of. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But that is what he demands, that we give him our whole self. And if we do so, that means we're putting on the table even those things that we love, even those things that we think we could never live without. I love this quote from David Foster Wallace. He says that everything he has ever let go of in his life has claw marks on it. We will hold on to the things that God is saying you must let go of. Your money, your sexuality, your career, fill in the blank. So understand that if you do not do this, if you do not trust God with your life, you will trust those things instead. It's not that you're saying, I'm not going to trust God, and so I'm not going to trust anything. No, you are putting your trust in something else. And here's the problem, here's the biblical answer, that trusting anything other than God will never work out for you. Jeremiah 2.13 says it, I think, best. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So there's two evils. Just take each of those pictures. Let's, let's actually take the second one first. He says that the people of God, the people that he longs to be Lord over, they have hewed out cisterns. And all that means they have made pots. They have made these things to catch water, to carry water. But these pots, when we make them, they are always substandard. They are always shoddy. They always have cracks in them. So what is the pot that you carry around that you have made for yourself? We make pots out of our career, out of food, out of acceptance, out of relationships, out of alcohol, 
out of beauty. And friends, these things hold our happiness for a little while. But then it pours out. They are cracked. They are broken. They are shoddy. We keep on pouring more and more and more into them and it is exhausting and it will never truly fill us up. So that's the first picture. What's the sec- what's the- that was the second picture. What is the first picture? Our evil is not that we have built pots at all. Our evil, I'm sorry, excuse me. Our evil is not that we have not found the right sort of pot. It's not that we haven't gone out searching and, oh, there it is. That's the evil. We just haven't found it yet. That is not the biblical answer. The biblical answer is that we have built pots at all. And this is a sin because sitting before us is a great fountain, an unending supply of life-giving water. We do not need our shoddy cisterns. We have the great source of life and happiness always at our disposal, the fountain of God, the very fountain of God. You can trust God because his love and his power will never run out. You will be fulfilled always. Here's the last thing. We do not trust God because we think he is untrustworthy. This is serious. Everyone has experienced this at some level. We've, always, we've all experienced at some level, at some time in our life, an absent God. A God who was not there when we needed him the most. Why is my life going this way, we've cried out. Why has not God heard my cries for help? If this is what power looks like, then I don't want any part of it. God may be powerful, but I cannot imagine that he is loving. And so we stand back. We withhold our trust because we do not think that he is trustworthy. What can we say to this? First, God knows our suffering. Even when our Our prayers go out and they feel unanswered. We must always know that God hears them. He always hears the cries of our heart. And he is not just aware of our cries. He is not just aware of our suffering. The Lord allows it. He does not stand back going, I can't do anything about this. No, he stands back and he says, this will be for your good. Now here's the second thing. Only God can make our suffering into a good. Only God can use suffering and make it for our good. This is easily one of the things that falls into that God's ability to do more than we can think. More than we can think. We do not know how God can do this. And this is what keeps us from from jumping in altogether, right? We can't imagine that God could use the suffering in our life for our good and his glory. But he does. We only have a small understanding. We only have a small picture. We do not know how God can bring it about for our good, but he can and he does. And here's the third thing. Only God can and will reverse our suffering. No other God can do that. No other God can look at your suffering, allow it, allow it to affect your life in a way that you are made better for it. 
and then take it and reverse it at the end of your life. No one else can offer power that comes close to that. Only, can, only God can reverse what has been broken. Only he can return what has been lost. For God is the God of resurrection. He is not the God of taking away your suffering. He is the God of resurrection. He is the God of restoration. Remember that God allowed the greatest tragedy in human history. Can you imagine the prayers of Peter and John and Mary as Jesus is marched up the hill on Calvary, as he is nailed to that cross? Oh Lord, do not let this man die. He is our rabbi, our friend. He is the Messiah. Lord, you must intervene. But God, in his power, we know this, brought about the crucifixion of his only son, but he did so with an eye to resurrection. We can expect the same. Lewis said it this way in his book, The Great Divorce. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. We can trust God because only he can use our suffering and redeem it. Last point this morning, the promise and trust in God. The promise and trust in God. So the last question this morning is simple. How can we trust that God's power will be there forever? How can we be certain that it will truly be there for us, that it will work itself out from within us? And here is something that we don't talk about very often. I don't know why, it just hasn't come up. Here is a fundamental truth that I want you to hear this morning, and it's this. God is passionate for his own glory. We can be certain of God's power in us because God is committed to, passionate for his own glory. Read verse 21. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Above everything else, God is committed to and passionate for his own glory. The first question of the Westminster Catechism, if you know what that is, it's a a series of questions and answers that have to do with theology. And the first one goes this way. What is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. But what 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 is the answer to this question? What is the chief and highest end of God? Do you know that the chief and highest end of God is his very glory? Above everything else, he is committed to and passionate for his own glory. And that actually kind of sounds like crazy talk. It sounds like he is being self-centered. I am all for me. Until you understand that this is God's very essence. And for him to not be committed to his own glory would negate his being God. His glory, if you don't know, is his radiance. It is his great emanating light shining out from God is the glory of his holiness and righteousness and majesty and beauty and love. In the same way, the sun must shine for to be the sun, right? God must be glorified to be God. 
In the same way, a mother must love her child. She must radiate with love for her child, for her to be a mother. So God must be glorified to be God. God is committed above all things to his own glory. Just want to give you some verses to back this up. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? Now listen, my glory I will not give to another. Isaiah 43, 6. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters to the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Maybe you remember back to Ephesians 1. Paul finishes laying out the unbelievable outline of salvation in Jesus Christ. And he ends by saying that it was all so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We can trust God because he is passionate, committed to his own glory. And we can, and this is good news to us because of what glorifies God, right? What glorifies God brings us in to him, knowing that what glorifies him is saving us and loving us and redeeming us. Verse 21 again, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Just take each of those separately. God is glorified in the church and that means he is glorified in us. He is glorified in our coming together in our body. He is coming together. He's glorified in all that we are doing. Our unity, our love, our mission, our evangelism, our defeating sin, our enjoying him in worship, our parenting, our overcoming racism, our giving ourselves to the poor, our joy and our happiness. God is glorified in all of that. That is what brings him the most radiance. He is also glorified in Jesus Christ. He is glorified in Jesus Christ. Jesus goes off to pray in John 17, and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given who you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you hear what that is saying? That the Father is glorified in the Son and the Son is glorified because of the work that they have done on earth. Jesus Christ living the life we were supposed to live and then dying the death we were supposed to die. God is glorified most of all in the gospel. No wonder the angels long to look into the good news. They are seeing God at his most radiant. They are seeing him look unbelievably holy and majestic and beautiful. God is committed to his own glory. And that is good news to us. 
That is the only kind of God that you can trust. Just two applications to end this morning. What I want you to consider doing is taking something that you have that you have been putting your hope in, some cistern pot that you have been dumping your energy, your life into, and consider giving part of it over to God or all of it. Consider stepping out and trusting Him in a way that will say, I love you and that I trust you. What is He calling you to give over to Him? What is He calling you to trust you with this morning? Maybe you need to step out very simply and give more of your money. That is often where our energies lie, where our idols lie. Give more away. Maybe you need to step and end a relationship that you know is destructive to you. Maybe you need to step out and confess a sin that you have to your spouse or to a close friend. Maybe you need to step out and receive professional counseling for your marriage or yourself. Maybe you need to step out and change your career, even if it means less money or prestige. Second, ask. Ask the Lord to help you trust. You cannot do this on your own. I'm not standing up here saying, well, you've got to trust on your own and then God will help you. That is not how the Lord works mercifully. When we cry out to him saying, I do not trust, he blesses us. Do you remember when the man came to Jesus? And he offered that wonderfully human, contradictory phrase, I believe, help my unbelief. Yes, help us and he will. Kara Tippetts went home to be with Jesus Christ. On March 22nd, 2015, she was an author. She left behind four children and a husband. But she had given her life to Christ in ways I don't totally understand. She had given her whole self to Jesus. Even in her battle against cancer, her hope was in the Lord. And this is what she wrote about a year before her passing. My little body has grown tired of the battle. Treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He has still given me breath. And with it, I pray I would live well and fade well. By degrees doing both living and dying, as I have moments left to live, I get to draw my people close, kiss them, tenderly speak love over their lives. I get to pray into eternity, my hopes and my fears for the moments of my loves. I get to laugh and cry and wonder over heaven. I do not feel like I have the courage for this journey. But I have Jesus. And he will provide. He has given me so much to be grateful for. And that gratitude, that wondering over his love, will cover us all. And it will carry us. Carry us in ways we cannot comprehend. Will you trust God with your life? If you do, it will be the greatest thing you ever do. Let's pray. Thank you, O most merciful Father. You are standing before us and we do not see. You are standing before us, the great fountain of life, the overflowing source of love, 
and redemption and joy. And we stand back. Oh, Father, bring us in. As the Spirit gives us vision to Jesus Christ and him glorified, may we entrust our lives to you. God, we can't expect for 100% today, but maybe we can expect for one more percent today. A step further in to what you are doing and who you are. And God, may this lead us now to live lives sacrificially for you. As we put our trust in you, may we step out onto that beam. That beam where we will be asked to do things that we cannot even imagine, but you may call us to. God, we ask this. We want this. We believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.